Welcome back to Go Gaddis Real Estate Radio right here on AM 920, The Answer. I'm Cleve Gaddis, and I appreciate you sticking with us through the break. Why are interest rates so, so low? What basic information is required by mortgage lenders for you to get your loan application approved? What are common hiccups during mortgage underwriting, and how can you be confident of the amount of dollars and cents you need to bring to the closing table and also how much you will have to pay on a monthly basis every single month after you close your home. You're listening to Go Gaddis Radio on AM 920 The Answer. I'm Cleve Gaddis. I am very excited to recognize a special guest on this segment, John Birchfield of Capital City Home Loans. John, welcome back, sir. Hey, Cleve. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. It's great to uh, it's it's great to uh, gr- always great to have you. Uh, you have been a lender for how many years, John? Oh man, it makes you feel old to think about it. Uh, I think we're running on twenty four years now. Twenty four years, John. You're not that old. You're younger than I am. You've been a lender for a long <laughs> time. But John really has the heart of a teacher. He makes it his mission to guide each home buyer step by step through the entire loan process, and also anybody who's refinancing a loan because he wants you to be educated and confident in the mortgage options available, and he wants you to make the best decisions for you along the way, not the best decisions for Capital City Home Loans, the best decisions for you. John can be reached by calling seven, uh, excuse me, 678-226-7887. 678-226-7887. John, let's jump right into uh, a couple of topics, and the first topic is why are interest rates so low? I saw... 30-year fixed rates, Thursday and Friday, 2.675, I saw a uh, 15-year fixed, and you're not supposed to quote rates on the on the radio. I can because I can't give somebody a loan, so I can yeah. quote a rate. But but a 15-year fixed rates around two and a quarter, uh, which is amazing. Yeah. Last time I did a 15-year refinance, it was 3.375. Uh, and I thought that was the lowest rate that, inter- that, that uh, the lowest rate that I would see forever. But anyway, why are interest rates so low? What keeps them low? What makes them low, and what keeps them low? Well, in the current environment, it's all about COVID. Uh, it's all about the, the worldwide pandemic uh, putting stress on the world economy, and in doing so, uh, uh, the people, investors who want to invest their money wisely, put it in what's referred to as fixed income securities, of which mortgages are one of them. So lots of money comes into the markets to help uh, fund the mortgage industry. And when there's a lot of money to be had, uh, that's going to make the cost of that of borrowing that money uh, a, a good bit lower. Uh, and, of course, that is, that is supported by our own Federal Reserve, our own federal government buying a lot of those mortgage securities as well and, and providing a lot of liquidity and funding to the mortgage market. So when there is turmoil in the world, interest rates on mortgages tend to be lower. And it's because people consider investments in mortgage-backed securities from all over the world, they consider them a very safe investment. Uh, certainly, there was some people right. from 28 to 2008 to 2012 that might not have agreed that mortgage inter, uh, investments in mortgage-backed securities were the safest investments. But so as long as there's turmoil in the world, interest rates typically remain low. And so certainly, if you are like me and John, you want all of this crap uh, to go away. Uh, John was talking earlier. Yeah. He's like, man, I have got to get this pandemic to go away because I've got to get back out and start doing all the social things that I need to do. And I'm sure I'm sure that, uh, you, uh, Drew, you are not the only person in the world who feels that way. they got to get back to life being a little more normal. Yeah, 
Yes, no doubt about that. But uh, and even beyond, you know, recovering from the pandemic, we still would expect interest rates to be low because it'll still take the economy many, many months to, to build itself back up to the way it was uh, prior to all this. To fully recover. That makes sense. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Go Gaddis Real Estate Radio right here on AM 920 The Answer. I'm Cleve Gaddis with Gaddis Group Remax Center. I'm the host of this radio show, and I am joined on the line by John Birchfield of Capital City Home Loans. We're talking all things mortgages. Next topic, what basic information is required, John, by a mortgage lender to approve a loan? Yeah, uh, borrowers need to be ready with what I refer to as the 2-2-2 two, two, and two rule from financial documentation. Okay. They want to have two pay stubs, the last two years of W-2 forms, they're self-employed. They could add the last two years of tax returns. Okay, that'll be needed. And John, is that is that the bank statement? I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that all pages of the tax return? Yes, yeah. all pages, all schedules. For, for you the, never know what might be in there that the lender would find important. For the self-employed, and I'm sorry, John, I talked over your last two. So it was two months of bank statements. Two. That was it. Two bank statements was the last one. Two, oh, two bank statements was the last one. Okay, so give us, give them again the, the three things you gave us in order. Pay stubs. Yep, two months pay stubs. W-2s. Two, month, uh, two years W-2s. And two months of bank statements. Two months of bank statements. And then your self-employed people also need to have their tax returns available. Now, when it comes That's to right. somebody proving where they got their money from for their down payment, what do they need to have to show you where the down payment money is coming from? Well, their bank statements will do that. Well, what we're, supposed, mm. we're specifically going to look for is to see if there's any unusual or large deposits that could not be documented within those bank statements. So it's important for uh, you know you to alert your lender and say, hey, this is where the money came from. Maybe it came from a gift from a family member or a bonus from work or a, a second job. Legitimate sources of money that we just have to take an extra step to source so that it can be used for a down payment on the real estate but transaction. But let's say you, you were going to make a $40,000 down payment, and that 40000 happened to be in your savings account for four or five months. And so the last two months would show that same amount of money in there, you know, 40, let's call it you had 48000 or something like that. Then you wouldn't really need to source it any further than that because you would have the source. Is that correct? That's right. Those are the ones we love. Keep it nice and simple and easy because uh, we'll see that money there the entire time that we're, we're, we're going to be uh, digging into it. Which is a good thing if somebody's out there looking to buy and they're, they're planning to shuffle money around at the last minute to make their down payment, they can go ahead and move the money around now and let it, I think you call it season, let it season for 60 days. So if it's been there for two months, then you tend to be in pretty good shape. If you've just joined us, again, you're listening to Go Gaddis Real Estate Radio right here on AM 920. The answer, I'm Cleve Gaddis, host of the show. I'm also a full-time real estate agent and broker, helping buyers, sellers, investors, and landlords all over Metro Atlanta buy properties all the way back to 1987. I'm joined on the line by John Birchfield with Capital City Home Loans, and we're talking about all things mortgage-related. Next topic I want to dive into is what are common hiccups during underwriting? Like if you had to pick the top three or four areas where people get tripped up during underwriting, what would those be? Well, we just touched on one of them. One of the big ones is having undocumentable deposits into your bank account so we can't figure out where money came from. Okay. Um, that would be probably the top one. But another one that's really, really competing for that top spot is folks that are shopping around 
for other lines of credit or even for mortgages during the process. So we see multiple credit inquiries while undergoing the mortgage buying process and that can create delays because each one of those inquiries, we have to take additional steps to make certain that the borrower hasn't opened up any new lines of credit that would need to be considered in the underwriting process. So interesting. So I thought, John, that if you made multiple credit in, if you had multiple credit pools all from mortgage lenders, that they counted all of them as one. Uh, I guess that's maybe from a scoring standpoint, but they still show up individually. Is that right? That is right. They'll each show. So you wouldn't necessarily affect your credit score. Got it. Not worried about that, but we still have to jump through some hoops to make certain that that borrower didn't open up multiple mortgages Mm -hmm. at the same time without disclosing each other to the other lender. Because I assume that's happened sometime in the past. I, uh, I, Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> my philosophy is pick a lender, get pre-approved with that lender. Um, John, I, I listen, I think you know as well as everybody that your average smart consumer is going to shop around. And so my thought is you sure. go ahead and get yourself hooked up with one person, then shop around. And the reality is if you find a better rate or something that you need to bring to the attention of the lender who pre-approved you, you can do that because in a lot of cases, lenders might have some other options and might be able to match things up just a little bit. Let's move to the last subject, and that is for years and years, buyers would be surprised the day of closing, John, with the amount of money they had to bring to closing, and then they would be surprised with the amount of their monthly payment, the principal, the interest, the taxes, and the insurance. Now, that doesn't happen anymore, or I haven't seen it happen in a long, long, long time. And so I would love for you to talk. We've just about got about a couple minutes left in the segment, but I'd love to love to you to talk about how do buyers know they're not going to have to bring any more money than this amount to closing and that their payment, their monthly payment is not going to be any more than this amount. Yeah, that's one of the greatest innovative things that have happened to our industry after the downturn of 2007 is that there's been new disclosures brought to the process which really hold a lender's feet to the fire. Once those disclosures are given to the borrower and those fees and expenses are disclosed, the interest rate is locked in, and that's a critical component of things is making sure the interest rate is locked in. Agreed. Then those numbers should be changing. So, and I think they put numbers into three different groups. There are a, there's a group of numbers that can change, however, but that's homeowners insurance and, and things like that, things that the borrower, that the buyer has control over. Then there's right. a group of numbers that can't change any more than 10%. Is that correct? That's right. That would be like your attorney fees, uh, title insurance, uh, that, what it costs to, to research the title. Lenders should know with a high degree of certainty what those fees should be, but not exactly. They give us a 10% margin uh, there. Yeah, which is fine. And then there's a group of numbers that can't change at all. And I think those are the numbers, John, that you have control over as the lender. And so uh, when you do a disclosure several days before closing, that you have to do it three days before closing. And it's because if the numbers aren't right, the buyer gets an opportunity to say, hey, no way, you got to redo this, right? I mean, you can't, a buyer c- cannot be forced to close under terms that don't work for them or that were not disclosed to them. And that certainly could have happened, by the way, back in 2006. Oh, yeah, all the time. And now, and in today's world, if the lender has made a legitimate mistake, it's on the lender. If we haven't disclosed a, the 
those fees appropriately, we have to do what's called a cost to cure. So and you got to pay it. We're coming in and we're paying those fees uh, on the borrower's behalf. You got to pay it. As usual, John, thank you for being a guest. We'll have you back in the next few weeks. What happens tax-wise when a non-U.S. citizen sells an investment property in the U.S.? Do detention ponds negatively affect the values of homes nearby? And how will unemployment affect the U.S. housing market? We've got those topics and more in segment number three. Stick with us. We will be back. <laughs> 